This is episode 166 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing the 2016 Men's Equipping Retreat, Big Kingdom, Little Kingdom, with Mark Hafner and Jeremy Schumacher. This is session two. Francis Chan has a phenomenal illustration about life. And the illustration kind of goes like this. If this is the span of my life, in this world, and this is eternity. What choices am I making in this life in relationship to eternity? Many of us are making choices in our life in this area so that we can have a great end here. So if you think about getting your portfolio all in order so that you can travel or you can do whatever it is you want to do. You fill in the bank, blank hunt up in Alaska or something important. Um, one of the things that we always have to, to consider is the span of my life in light of eternity. So here's the question that I want to ask you this morning is, are, are you living this day with that day in mind? Or are you living this day with that day in mind? Okay, we all know right here, at the, right there at the very end, it, it gets really bad, right? You know, now, we were talking about, somebody was asking me about my dad who went to be with Jesus here a year ago. Okay? And, you know, the way I like to describe it is, you know, he lived 80 plus years, loved the Lord, uh, was failing, uh, but, you know, ate ice cream, Kissed my mom, went to bed, woke up with Jesus. You know, and uh, I, I, I take that out. You know, that, that's not a bad way to go. Uh, but the question is, before my dad started to fail, what choices was he making for which for which time frame? Am I making choices today so that in the last years of my life, when I retire or when I can kind of do what I want because I've, I've done a good job of, uh, of creating my portfolio. Um, um, is that what I'm living for? Is that what I'm making choices for? Or am I making choices today with eternity in mind? So when we think about that idea, we realize that if we're making choices with eternity in mind, then we're, we're talking big kingdom. If we're making choices with just kind of my end of this life in this life, then really what I'm doing is uh, I'm living my life for myself. Uh, I'm the one who's trying to make sure that it ends fun before I eat ice cream, kiss my wife, and, and, and wake up. And so if you think about that, that whole little kingdom, big kingdom, uh, word picture, one of the things that we realize is, is that if we're making bad choices on purpose, okay, if we're making bad choices on purpose, then what's happening is we're really committing spiritual suicide. It's a death walk. Because we're forfeiting everything that Big Kingdom wants to offer us for what we perceive to be the pleasure of being in control of my own life. In other words, if I can't give up headship of my life, then I'm going to make choices within what I think I can control. Now, you guys all know what it's like to go to the, the hardware store, right? And, and buy a tool, okay? and realize that you can't get the tool out of the shrink wrap package. <laughs> Amen? Have you ever had one of those packages? In fact, some, sometimes it is so bad that you actually ruin the thing you bought because of the way you went about opening the shrink wrap package. You know, sometimes it's so bad you use it for skeet. 
You know, you just throw it up there and blow it away because there's no way you're getting into that package. And so you can see it in there, right? There's that tape measure and I can see it in there, but I just can't get that stupid thing out because they put this shrink wrap around it. And you know, I, I got out my knife and I cut one of my fingers off trying to get it out. I, you know, you, it can, you want to talk about sinning, you know, forget politics. It, I yell more at shrink wrap packages than I do at politics. Because the thing inside of that package, I want to use it for what it was intended to be. Today. I want to measure something with that tape measure. Today, not but, next week. Yeah, and I can't get it out of that package. That's what sin does to us. It shrink wraps us down to where I can see there's a person in there. But it can't be the person it was intended to be. My life literally becomes all about me. And all of a sudden, everything begins to just revolve around me. And all of a sudden, the very thing that I was created to be is enshrouded in the shrink wrap of sin. Every time I make a choice about my life, both what I am going to decide in the now, in light of what I've done in the past, so that I can make a decision towards the future, if I am the author of that choice, then I am committing spiritual suicide. I am on a death walk. Because all of a sudden what's happened is I have determined how everything relates to me. And if you're one of those quote-unquote lucky people, okay, uh, you can deceive yourself into thinking that, wow, this, this timeshare and this vacation and this retirement and this new gun and that new truck and, and all of that has really made me happy. But in reality, it voids me of the humanity that God intended for me to have and to be. Life is not about choice. Life is about identity. Who has God determined me to be? And how do I remove all of the shrink wrap so that I can live out of that which God has declared me to be? So when we think about this idea, how do I begin to even address this issue? Well, the first thing we learned last night is that I gotta take every thought captive in the fear of God. I've gotta, I've gotta think, I gotta stop and think about what I'm thinking about. I gotta stop and think about the decisions I'm gonna make. Because all of a sudden, if I'll be honest with myself, every decision I make towards the future is completely informed by the past. And so if I look at my past wrongly, then it is going to be the stimulus for how I make decisions going forward. So if you cheated me and you're a scoundrel and I hate you and now I encounter you again, that's gonna inform how I'm going to engage you. But if you're a scoundrel and I have determined that God brought you in my life so that I might learn something more about God, so that I might understand forgiveness, then it's going to be a different decision coming out of the chute. And so the question is, is if I believe the lie about the activities of my past, then it becomes the platform from which I make decisions going in the future. If I embrace God's perspective about my past, then all of a sudden it's from that platform that I make decisions going forward into the future. And so when I take every thought captive, really what I'm doing is saying, from what platform do I wanna make this decision? So when we think about that, we have to renew our mind. Romans 12 told us that. 
as we renew our mind, we become transformed, and we, we realize that process of thinking the way God thinks about my past so that I can think the way God thinks in my present so that I can live the way God determines for me to live in my future. Now, all of a sudden, I realize, oh, that's an act of worship. That's what it means to be human. I'm now, I'm now living out of who God declared me to be. And that brings God pleasure. That's what, that's what worship is. It's, it's orienting ourselves properly towards God so that he receives his due. And so when I will think the way God wants me to think, and I'll make decisions the way God wants me to make decisions, so that I'll live the way that God wants me to live, He's happy. He's pleased. He's worshipped. So then we realize that as that begins to take place, I realize, oh, he was preeminent in everything in my past. He's preeminent now in this decision. And he's going to be preeminent in everything that's in the future. Why? Because he made it all. He made it all for him. He's the one who determines what it's all for. And therefore, he's the one who brings it to his conclusion. And so now his preeminence now leads me to understand that, that his creative power, his sustaining power, and his eternal power are made available to me when I will walk in obedience to who he is. To not walk in obedience to him is just simply to deceive myself, to sin, and in doing so, I shrink wrap my life down to my life, and pretty soon I, I can't even be the human that God intended me to be. So then we move to the fact that when I will do it God's way, when I'll think about my past the way God wants me to, and I'll make decisions off of that platform, then all of a sudden I realize that I am in this incredible relationship with God. And that relationship with God now becomes something that impacts my emotions. So now I have this assurance, this confidence, this foundation, which allows me to live with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. And as those things begin to permeate out of my life, I realize that was God working in me. That was God doing his work in my life. I can see it. And so as we move forward this morning, as we think about do I live by myself, for myself, or do I live for something bigger than myself, as I process through my imagination or the word pictures of my life and I flip those pages of my history, I begin to yield it to God's perspective. It now informs how I relate to God and how I relate to others so that I have this strong foundation for positive emotions. So now I begin to see way beyond myself. I begin to see, I have a vision for that which is beyond me. Because I realize I'm now a part of something so much bigger. That the humanity that God created for the purpose of his glory now begins to function more and more in unity with one another as more and more people begin to submit to God's vision for his kingdom. So this morning what we want to do is we want to just take some time and try to understand this to a different level. Because... A lot of times when we look back at our past, what we realize is, is there's all kinds of things that I've done and things that have happened to me, but there's also those things where I have made sinful choices, okay? So when we think about the sinful choices that I've made that have impacted my past, how do I process those sinful choices, you see? In other words, if I'm going to see that from God's perspective, and yet I'm the one who, who did the sinning, okay, how am I going to process that? Okay, so we want to try to examine that side of this this morning. So here's the question I want to ask you. What sits smack dab in the middle of your life? Okay, so just stop and ask yourself the question. What is the primary motivating factor for why you do what you do? What is the primary motivating factor for why you do what you do? Is it, I've got to please my wife? 
I got to please my parents. I got to please myself. I got to please God. What motivates you to do what you do? What is the primary motivating factor of your life? What sits smack dab in the middle of your life? If we think about big kingdom living, and we, we define big kingdom living as meaning living with Christ at the center of everything I think, I desire, and I do. Okay, so let's say big kingdom living is that Christ is at the center of my life, and he's central in everything I think, everything I feel, everything I desire, everything I say, everything I do. Okay, if that's true, then what does sin want to do to that? So let's think about that for just a second. What what does sin want to do to all of us? Well, the Bible uh, talks a lot about sin, okay, and we're going to look at some key passages Uh, in this area in just a moment. But sin causes all of us to want to live at the center of our own world. You know, this is where this gets a little bit weird, okay? Because it's not like you can look back at your past and go, oh, I had the wrong perspective about that. I'm going to gain the right perspective. And you never go back to the wrong perspective again. In other words, it's a constant battle, is it not, to think about your past the right way all the time. To even be cognizant of the fact that that my past is shaping my future and I better take all of that captive so that I can align it correctly for a a preferred future where Jesus is the one who's who's leading the ship here. So sin uh, wants to move us to where we live with ourself at the center of our own world. The second thing that we see in the Bible about sin is sin causes all of us to want the spotlight on ourselves. Okay? It doesn't mean we all want to be performers. It doesn't mean we all want to be up front. It just means that we want everything to revolve around us. We want to we we you know, we want it to be about us. And we go through all of these maturations of things that we will do to try to get it to be about us. We'll even say it's not about us to make it about us. You know, Uh, we'll, we'll do all kinds of crazy things, but we know that the motivating factor is it's about me. We'll even, we'll even go and help widows and orphans because it's about us. You see, and so sin causes us to want the spotlight on ourselves. Third thing, sin causes all of us to focus our energies on earthbound treasures and anxiety-bound needs. Now think about that. What's an earthbound treasure for us? Okay, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate. Um, God has been very gracious to me and my family. Uh, we have lack of nothing. Um, we've got good food. We've got... Uh, nice house to live in, we've got cars that we can drive, we, we have clothing, um, we can turn on the heat, um, uh, there's, there's really nothing that we lack. And now I can put on top of that, I got some toys, I got some guns. Um, when my wife opened my gun safe the other day, she said, you've got some more guns. <laughs> um, I said, didn't I tell you about that? She said, no, I don't think you did. Um, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate. I've, I've, got a, I've got a motorcycle that I ride. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I've got some stuff. I've got a bunch of tools out in my shop. Uh, so, so not only do I, I have my needs met, i got a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Earthbound treasures. Earthbound treasures. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But when my life becomes about those things, that somehow my decision making is warped by the fact that I think that those things are what's actually going to satisfy. Now I got myself into a problem. (laughs) The flip side of that is what we call anxiety bound needs. In other words, I start to have anxiety that what I perceive to be a personal need is not going to be met. So I need to manipulate life to get that need met. And so now all of a sudden I can't trust God to meet my needs 
because I can remember a time in my past when I asked God for something and He did not provide. And so, so I'm going to have to hedge my bet here and I'm going to have to make sure I make provision for this thing because if God doesn't come through, I don't know that I can live. I don't know that I can survive without God coming through. <coughs> Anxiety-bound needs. What are you doing to try to accumulate things that you believe will satisfy? And what are you doing to manipulate life in anticipation of how am I going to meet a need that I don't believe God is going to show up and meet that need? That's sin. Sin causes that kind of thinking, that kind of attitude. Next, sin causes all of us to shrink the size of our lives to the size of our life. It's all about me, what I want, what I need. And now all of a sudden, my life is just consumed with me. And then if I was to say sin causes all of us to, what could you add? What does sin cause you to, to do? Huh? Um, I could tell you a whole bunch of sin stories about me, but uh, I would rather hear from you. No. <laughs> we, we all know how, how sin affects us. <laughs> We all know those besetting sins that lead us towards medicating. Okay? So where, when I think I need to satisfy myself, where do I go with myself to be able to do that? And for some people, it's sexual sin. For some people, it's financial sin. For some people, it's relational sin. For some people, it's materialistic sin. In other words, we go somewhere to medicate. All the above. Okay, or all the above, yeah. Um, these guys just had a prayer summit here. Some of the pastors um, were here for the last bunch of days just praying before we got up here. And I know they prayed for us, and I really appreciate that. But one of the things that they went through was just identifying idols. What are things that, that have become idols in my life that I just need to, I need to yield those things up to God, and I need to get God at that, that center spot and not that idol. That's a good word picture of what we're talking about here, okay? So uh, here's the question. When we think about in, in, you know, in the little kingdom uh, living, self is at the center. In other words, I'm, I'm making bad choices on purpose, okay? And in big kingdom living, the center is the one place that self can never be. Why? Because that's Christ's place. So then I ask myself the question, who resides at the center of my life? Okay, and it's either, it's either me or, or it's God. Okay, so then if God is at the center of my life, then what happens to how I, um, how I begin to make decisions? And so, so we want to think about some ideas. One is transcendent. The, the God is transcendent, okay? So we realize that not only is he imminent, that he is, he is personal and he's close, but he's over all things. He, he, he's sovereign. He has a, a, he encompasses everything. So if we think about God's story, we realize that every story is contained within the story of God. So you look at the photo album of your life, right? Okay, but what is the photo album of God's life? You see, you would be one of those pages, would you not? You see, so when God opens up his book, his book of life, okay, now all of a sudden we realize, oh, okay, I can look at the photo album of my life, but the photo album of my life is just simply a, a small uh, breakdown of the photo album of God's story. So my story fits within the story of God. So now all of a sudden, what happens is, what then does it mean to live in an intentionally Christ-centered way? 
Okay, we all know we should live for Christ, right? But how do we do it intentionally so that we're not making bad choices on purpose? So that we're making good choices on purpose? So that we're living with this, with this uh, abundant life? So, so here's some categories just to get us starting to think. In your daily life, okay? So, so how are you going to live intentionally Christ-centered in your daily life? How am I going to make today centered in Jesus so that my day is about making godly choices. How about in your family? How about in your marriage, your parenting, in your friendships, in your work, in your community, in your finances, in your recreation, in your whatever category I didn't (coughs) hit that's a part of your life. Okay, so now I start to think, okay, I'm going to live Christ-centered on purpose in my day. I'm going to live Christ-centered on purpose in my marriage. I'm going to live Christ-centered on purpose in my work. Okay? So now all of a sudden what we do is we have to come back and we have to say, well, what does that look like? Okay, so let me see if I can move it to a church level. Okay? When your church begins to try to embrace its community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you look at your community, okay, can you vision health care with Christ at the center of the health care of your community? What about recreation? When you think of all the sports leagues and you think of all the activity that goes on in your community, do you have a vision as a church for what is recreation sports look like in our community with Christ at the center of it? When you think of education, can you look at your community and say, what does our community look like with Christ at the center of the educational institutions of our community? What about commerce? The work that goes on, the things that are sold, the the, the, uh, services that are rendered. What about the churches in your community? Can you see what they would look like if Christ was at the center of the churches in your community? Okay, you got it? Thinking? Okay, let me ask you a question. How many of you have worked in healthcare? Okay, how many of you have ever coached a, a, a team? Okay, how many of you have worked for a business or own a business? How many of you go to church? Okay. So what does Christ look like at the center of health care? What does Christ look like at the center of education? What does Christ look like at the center of recreation? It looks like you. It looks like you. You are Christ's ambassadors. You are the ones who take the gospel into the center of those arenas. If you're not living with Christ at the center of your life and making Christ-based choices on purpose, then you're just going to work. And your Christianity has nothing to do with your life in your job. How many of you have a family? What does Christ look like at the center of your family? You see, gentlemen, we can look at our world and we can say, man, it's going to hell in a handbasket. This place is, is, is really, really bad. Okay? And we can see signs of that. But ask yourself the question, to what degree is Christ being represented in our world? So all of a sudden, if I can see Christ at the center of Burns, Oregon, that's big kingdom living. Because that's pretty messed up down there right now. If I can see Christ at the center of a broken home, but God, 
But you see, God is so incredible. His kingdom is so vast. He can work in anything. If we'll just let Him be God. Alright, so your life was created to be invested for the glory and the success of God's kingdom, not your kingdom. So this is not a lifestyle option, it is the very nature of your humanity. In other words, when you come out of your shrink rack package and you embrace the identity that God has, has uh, afforded to you when he created you, when you were fearfully and wonderfully made and your soul knows it very well, when God began to um, unleash you out of your sin shrink wrapped life so that you could live in obedience to Him, that's when you become the most human. That's when you become what you were designed to be. Anything else is a lie. Anything else is deceptive and it's from the evil one. So to live for yourself is to rob yourself of your own humanity. To live for yourself is to rob yourself from your own humanity. All right. So this is this is what I this this is what I think we need to look at uh, to to kind of bring this conclude this session to a conclusion. We sinners, okay, are really good at getting death and life confused. We think that's life, but it's really death. And we think that's death, but it's really life. We, we get it all confused all the time. Okay? And so when we, let's, let's think about it for a second with the illustration that I used. Okay? He thought adultery was going to give him what? Life. But what did it really give him? Yeah. Death. So if we go to our Bible and we turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, what does it say about adultery? It says it's going to lead you to the pit of hell. It's going to lead you to utter destruction. So the Bible says that that's going to create death, and yet everything in our media, everything in our culture says not only is it recreation, but you're going to feel more alive if you'll just satisfy, what did we say last night? The desires of my flesh instead of living under the control of the Holy Spirit. I hate to use this one. Um, gluttony. Okay? I'm just going to medicate by eating more. Okay? And now all of a sudden I find myself just trying to somehow feel good about myself, and so I eat more, which means I feel what? Worse about myself, and so I want to deal with that, so what do I do? I eat some more, okay? And you've all seen the pictures of people on TV who are 600 pounds, and they can't wipe their own rear end, and they can't move, and, and they have to bring a forklift in to get them out of their apartment so they can get them into the hospital. I mean, you go, that is so gross. It's so sad. You just, you just, your heart's broken for people that have taken gluttony to the point where it has destroyed not only their body, but it's destroyed their soul. Because they bought the lie. It doesn't just have to be a gluttony for food. It could be a gluttony for sex. It could be a gluttony for money. It could be a gluttony for anything. Fill in the blank. So it might not be obvious in this room because most of us are, are you know, we're not packing too much extra weight, you know. I mean, maybe. Um, but, but what we can't see is, how have I medicated with pornography how have I medicated with um, stressing out over the stock market? You know, I can't, I can't, I can't breathe because I just, I lost 10% yesterday, you know? And, 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 and so now all of a sudden I'm, I'm consumed with something, gluttony, materialism. Uh, the idea that things are somehow going to satisfy. 
the story that I would use there is I can remember we got new carpet in our church and um, everybody was stressing out over, you know, coffee in the sanctuary because of the new co- carpet and, and uh-oh. Um, you know, and, and there was other carpet in, in other places. And I can remember, it was really funny because I was preaching one Sunday and all of a sudden the back doors opened up and my wife came through and she came through with, with gusto and that's just not my wife. She's just not, she's not somebody to, you know, ta-da, here I am. And she said, excuse me, excuse me, you know, and man, I'm thinking, somebody better call an ambulance, something has happened, uh, this is a bad moment, and I mean, I'm just caught off guard and preaching, and she says, I just want everybody to know you don't have to worry anymore, I spilled coffee on the carpet. <laughs> and you know what, I got more amens, hallelujahs, and claps about that than my message <laughs> Ever gotten. It was like, finally. Think about the first dent in the new car. You know? Man, I just stress over that car, and then all of a sudden, after the first dent, it's like, oh well, I'll, I'll wash it next month. You know? And why? Because we work, work ourselves up into thinking that somehow this thing is going to satisfy me. And we buy the advertisement over and over and over and over again, and it never does. We get life and death confused often. And so how do we, how do we move from a death walk to a, a life walk? And so that's, that's where we want to uh, spend our time. So we've got a, a worksheet that's based upon Luke chapter 9. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And this is the text that we're going to use to unpack this assignment that you guys are going to do in a little while. Um, but in Luke chapter 9, we've got a, a, an incredible word picture here um, that I want to I try to unpack for us. Luke chapter 9, and uh, we're going to begin at verse um, 23, Luke 9, 23. And uh, um, so here we go. Jer, are we going to, do we have those to pass out to these guys? Okay, so we're just going to pass out this this thing to you because you may want to just uh, take a few notes on it as it comes out but but you'll be okay even if you don't get it before I start here notice what it says uh, Luke 9 23 and he said to all so here's Jesus remember he just got done foretelling his death uh, Peter the great confession uh, by Peter there um, where Peter who do you say I am and Peter answered him you know the the Christ of God So now we come down to verse 23 in in this treaty, and he says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. (coughs) Now notice the next two verses. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. Okay, let's, let's remind ourselves of where we began. What happens to a man if he gains the whole world? And he forfeits his soul. Okay? Uh, if I'm working, if I'm working this gig so that I can get all that I can get, because I think all that I can get is what's going to satisfy and make me happy, then, then what happens if I get all of this, and then all of a sudden... Ouch, I go through that. Okay? Do I forfeit my soul? He says, what profit is it of a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Forfeits himself. Then look at verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Okay? So there's a point in which Christ is coming back. Right? He's coming back. So now let's look at this. Deny yourself. Here what we're talking about is can I um, bring death to the priority of self? Okay? Deny myself. Can I bring death to the priority of myself? Can I make God my priority? 
Or do I need God to help me with the priority of me? So do I live for me and need God to help me be me? Or do I live for God and have God shape me into who he determines me to be? Can I bring death to the priority of self? So let's think about it for just a second. So can I say no to the person you have the most trouble with? Okay, who's the person you have the most trouble with? You! You! You are your problem. Okay? You think everybody else is your problem. Why? Because it's all about me. But if I'll realize, no, the problem is me. Now I can reorient myself towards God and others correctly. So can I say no to the person I have the most trouble with? If I cannot, then I can't bring death to the priority of self. If I can say, you know, I'm going to let God deal with this problem. I'm going to let God deal with me. Then you can. You can bring death to the priority of yourself. Second one, take up your... Uh, well, let me see. Now, before we move there, let's stay on that death to priority of self. So when you think about your investment of time, money, talents, uh, gifts, energies, relationships, and resources... Um, what is it that you would say they're invested into? So here's everything that encompasses that which God has entrusted to me to steward. So I get to steward my children. Why? They're not mine, they're his, but I'm their father, so I've got to steward how I parent. I've got this relationship with my wife. She's not mine, she's God's, but I get to have this oneness of relationship with her. How do I steward that relationship? I've got these things that God has given me, a paycheck and a bank account and, and a house and all of those kinds of things. How do I steward that for his purposes? I've got these talents or these gifts or I've got all of this energy or I lost all of my energy. Wherever you're at, how do you invest that in something? Are you investing it in your life? Or can you say, no, that's God's. And I am going to, in the next few days, I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask God, how do you want me to invest that? And I'm going to actually fast from the things that stimulate me to want to utilize that for me. Okay. I'm going to let my Bible, my conversation with God, and that which I say no to, to help inform me on the decisions I should make tomorrow. Okay. <clears throat> Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Well, what, what is he driving at there? In other words, it's the idea of death to the pursuit of my life. Death to the pursuit of my life. What do you refuse to nail to the cross? What is it that you refuse to nail to the cross? He says, take up, my, take up your cross. So if I'm going to take up my cross, then, then I've got to bring it all to him. You see, but, but, but there's some things that God, you know, I just can't let go of that. <coughs> what do you refuse to nail to the cross? Your money? Is it your money or is it God's money? Your lifestyle. God, I'll serve you if I can keep this lifestyle. Your reputation. I've got, to, I've got to preserve my reputation. So I, I can't put that at the cross. My house, my prestige, my power, my esteem. Um, the, the esteem of others. My car, my friends. My plans for the future. What is it that you refuse to nail to the cross? Okay. If there is nothing that you haven't nailed to the cross, then you've brought death to the pursuit of your life. I'm not pursuing my life. I don't live for my life. I'm pursuing the life that's found in none other than, than Christ Jesus himself. Okay? Then the third category is follow me. 
It's the idea of death to my pursuit of my plan. In other words, death to self-rule. Okay. Um, so where are you going with your life? Where are you going with your life? Whose plan are you following for your life? Whose dream shapes your life? Whose agenda do you follow? Can <coughs> okay, let's just let's just stop and think about this for just a second. See if I can illustrate this. I was in Phoenix, Arizona, a week ago uh, for the regional directors meeting. So the guys who work with churches around the United States, like I do here in the Northwest, and we got together for um, some strategizing and some visionizing, some training, developing some programs, and, and all of those kinds of things. When it was over, uh, my wife and I went out to dinner with one of the, the Reds, and um, we were sitting across the table, and we were, he was asking my wife about uh, our family and about our life and, and all, all the, those questions to try to get to know us. And, and my wife started walking through the story of each one of our children. And so we've got eight kids and, and uh, seven, seven of our kids come from um, uh, an adoptive environment, which I told you last night, because their parents love their sin more than they love their kids. And my wife began to kind of share how difficult it is to continually help them to not fall back into their interpretation of their past, but to try to see their past from a God orientation, from God's perspective. And how some of our children really wrestle with that. It's like every time we come up against a major decision in their life, they have to reprocess all of that past before they can before they can embrace that, that, that decision. And it's always, it's always upheaval. You know, it, it, it can be, uh, you know, it can be, be things thrown, it can be outbursts of anger, it can be depression, it can be all kinds of emotional upheaval comes. You know, so, so what we would consider simple decisions, you know, moving from junior high to high school, now you have this upheaval of fear and anxiety and stuff. Um, one of the biggest fears that our kids have is when my wife and I go away together on a trip, that the fears were not coming back. Okay, and so we constantly have to process that with them. We have to, you know, make phone calls and, and connect and and just uh, to help them to understand that that they're not going to be abandoned. And uh, uh, so there's all this there's all this anxiety related to these different points in life. And, and it can get pretty rough. It can get pretty rough. Um, and my wife is one who, um, who bears a lot of that, uh, especially when, when I'm gone. And so she, she, she has to help them process this a lot. So we're sitting at the table, right? And we're talking to this guy. And he's asking about our kids. And my, my wife's walking through the... The, the, the story of our kids. And for the first time, I kind of found myself in this weird uh, out-of-body, like I'm sitting there watching this, you know? So, so here I am, here's my wife, she's telling the story of our kids, and all of a sudden now I'm, I'm, it's like I'm up here, I'm sitting there as a part of that, but I'm up here kind of listening to it, going, wow. And just a, at the moment in which my head, I'm kind of going, wow. The guy asked the question of my wife, well, do you have any regrets? And it's like, I vaporized up here and I came right back down into my body here and I'm, I'm getting ready to go, well, you know, I got a few things I could probably say to that. And she says, absolutely not. Which I was glad she spoke first. <laughs> she said, absolutely not. She says, every one of those experiences has been a gift from God to help me not only learn about my kids, but to learn about God. I would not trade any of those circumstances. But her resolve 
absolutely not. <coughs> Caught me off guard. You see, man, it's either your idea or it is. You're not going to get to control what happens to you in your life. But your perspective on it is going to say a lot about whether you're going to shrink wrap your life down to a sin-sick life. Or whether you're going to experience what it means to walk in the Spirit. Death walk Spirit walk. So the assignment is this. What does spiritual suicide look like for you? What are choices that you make on purpose that are bad choices? Can you identify them? Then what does spiritual health look like for you? Can you describe it? Then can you take what is spiritual suicide for you and can you go up and can you process it through death of yourself um, death of the priority of yourself death to my pursuit of my life and death to the pursuit of my plan death to self rule in other words can I deny myself take up my cross and follow him can I deny myself take up my cross and follow him. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. So the assignment is to go and to get together in your group and to process through that and have a conversation about this and last night and, and begin to just try to massage your own life so that it becomes oriented completely and totally to that which is beyond you kingdom bigger than yourself.